Well, welcome to uh, the latest edition of the 3D Podcast. My name is Sean Coleman, and uh, of course, uh, joined uh, by my tag team partner, co-host, um, uh, resident expert, Justin Lewis. Justin, how does it feel to be back on the home turf? Oh, man, I actually was shot back down to Florida. Um, I'm back down here now, but it was it was nice for a couple of days to to be back home in Memphis and uh, get to go do some Memphis things like Jerry Snowcombs and uh, eat some some Wing Guru um, and, and watch the Grizz play. Of course, so it was it was a good three days back home. Now that brings me to a, a couple of questions here. So, what is the favorite um, flavor at Jerry Snowcombs? I, I see. I just recently went for the first time uh, before wow. I moved a couple months ago. And so um, I've only tried two flavors, the cotton candy and watermelon. And uh, the cotton candy was superior to the watermelon. That's typically what I tell folks is that, first off, don't get any flavors that are in ice cream. Artificial ice cream flavors on snow cones, uh-uh, it ain't happening. Tiger Blood's good. That's a favorite of mine. So what's the favorite flavor when it comes to Wing Guru? All right, so I'm I'm a wimp. I'm weak. I don't do spicy. I don't do hot very well. Um, I'll start sweating, and I just don't enjoy it. So I just go with the basic uh, honey gold, and I absolutely love it. Justin, we're we're two peas from the same pod when it comes to our wings. I'm <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big pansy as well. Honey gold is where it's at. But uh, but you know we could talk about our our our, our guide to Memphis delicacies another time. Let's jump right in. Uh, to the reason that obviously we talk on this podcast, and that is the Memphis Grizzlies. So uh, since the last time we talked, uh, you know, in the midst of, you know, a great run by the Grizzlies, we're coming uh, live to you Wednesday night. Um, obviously, that, that 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 cold feeling that you're getting, that's probably that cold water that we got Dallas did tonight against Atlanta. And um, it was bound to happen. You know, the, the, this the, the, it happens to anybody. It happens from a, to a peak Warriors team to a team that, you know, is is, is kind of getting a late-season renaissance of the Grizzlies. But, uh, Justin, uh, you you watched the Hawks game tonight. Uh, what was a big takeaway for you as far as uh, the overall performance? Yeah, it was disappointing, but, you know, still, uh, the, besides the competition exciting, the, the Grizzlies still showed pretty good on offense at times. Yeah, I, man, it's just it's weird watching a Memphis Grizzlies game and seeing an opponent put up 130 something points in regulation. Um, it's not something that you're used to. So I don't even know if it's something you can explain. Um, I don't I don't remember if it was Hasseltine or if it was Pranica um, talking about uh, one of our former coaches. I believe it was Hubie Brown um, said that in a season there's there's five games that you're you're not going to lose. Um, no matter what, there's five games you're just not going to win no matter what. It's all about the other 72, how you play. And it just seemed like tonight that it was one of those five games in the season where you just weren't going to win no matter what you did. Um, Trey Young's playing out of his mind. John Collins is a, is a beast. Um, Kevin uh, Herter is um, playing well. It's just they were clicking. Um, I think we might have uh, overlooked them. Coming into the game, I don't know if it's necessarily looking forward, looking ahead to the next game. But I think it was kind of a, oh, this is just the Hawks, um, and they they got run out the gym. I saw the quote that you were talking about. I don't remember if it was on Twitter. You may have talked to someone, but I, I've seen that quote as well. And the crazy thing is, is that I believe that we play Atlanta twice this year. Tonight was one of those games you just weren't going to win. The second game of the season was one of those games you just weren't going to, you know, lose. As bad a defense as the Grizzlies played tonight in the first, in the second game of the season, you know, it was Jared's coming out party. He scored twenty four points. Trey was the one that was playing for the Hawks. Kevin Huter really hadn't stepped into the rotation. John Collins was out, um, but it, it was just a complete one eighty. You know, this game now Jared's out, Kyle Anderson's out. So you know, it happens. You're right. There are just some games you win, some some games you lose. But the crazy thing about it is, is that even though it obviously was wasn't a fun game in terms of the score, it was another historic game offensively for a Memphis Grizzly. If you, anybody watched CJ Miles tonight, if he didn't look like himself, it was because he was out of his mind. Isn't that right, Justin? Oh yeah, I, I was in the first half just kind of watching 
the game in the background while I was eating my dinner. And uh, I looked up and, and heard uh, Pranica say that he had 17 points in 11 minutes. I was like, oh, okay, what's going on? And it just seemed um, that he was locked in, couldn't miss. Um, he was comfortable tonight. And um, I, I'm glad that they kept going to him and kept feeding him. Um, and he was uh, coming through. Me and Justin did a little bit of research, and uh, we actually found out that this probably – I would easily say this was uh, one of C.J. Miles's top five games of his career. Um, his second-highest career point total um, in terms of the Grizzlies, um, it, 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 for C.J. individually, it also matched his career high in threes. But he also set the uh, tied the second-highest points total that a Memphis reserve has ever scored in the game and also tied the record for the most threes that the Memphis Reserve has hit in the game. So pretty historic night for C.J. Miles. And, and, and you know, he, he kind of gets lost in the conversation. I know that you ha- have been a fan of his. Uh, you know, again, he's he's an answer to a historical weakness, and he's showing he's not just filler. He's playing late-in games, late-in games that were winning, and he also is providing consistent outside shooting. You think he's someone that certainly should be on the team next year. And my guess is is that his play is confirming that night in and night out. Is that correct? Oh yeah, like I, I just like the idea. Cause, I mean, he dropped thirty three tonight. Yeah, it's not. They don't play defense, whatever. But I like the idea of having a, an option off the bench of a guy that can knock down perimeter shots. Um, and and we've played him at the stretch four, and it's and it's worked fine. So I, I think it's a guy that if we need to go small ball, he works. If we need some three-point shooting, he's the guy you bring in. Uh, he's a veteran. Um, he's been in the playoffs with Toronto. Uh, he's been around for a while. And I think uh, he could be a cheap option um, for us to come off the bench next year because um, what we've heard, he, he likes it. Um, so I would absolutely love to see C.J. Miles remain a Grizzly uh, next season for sure. And so that kind of brings us to the point, and I, th- I think that it's the perfect time to really talk about where we are, what it means for the future, and the different options that are there as the direction of this Grizzlies team goes. Obviously, we've won four out of our last six, including three over teams with playoff aspirations in a row when we beat the uh, the Blazers, the Jazz, and the Orlando Magic. Memphis right now is seventh um, in the lottery standings. Obviously, we all know we want to get to nine, in order to convey the pick. Uh, tonight's loss, the Grizzlies had the ability to take on. They, I feel that they had built enough uh, a wiggle room to where they could take a loss, and, and you could kind of see it coming with Atlanta uh, because of how well the Grizzlies had played. But it, what it comes down to is this, is that you know there still is a definite chance we convey, but there also has been a lot of talk about, okay, what does conveying mean if we do convey what's the next step? And that's led some people to have the opinion that maybe not conveyed keeps it simple and it may actually be better for the future of the Grizzlies. Justin, what is your take on the convey versus not convey debate? Up until, what, two, three days ago? I was hardcore. We got to convey. We got to convey. We got to convey. Now I'm sitting here and I'm looking at it. You keep this team together as it is. Jonas comes back. CJ's back. Dylan Wright's we're able to, to to keep him. We keep Conley. We don't trade him. And then you add Jaron, and you add Kyle, and you add Dylan. You you try to keep Avery Bradley. Um, as, as well, if you can, if, if the money works with uh, Dale incoming, and so you're you're looking at it, and if you don't convey this year, uh, you're you're going to have a, a pick probably from anywhere from six to eight, and so you've got a chance at a at a young talent to put uh, in this rotation and, and next to uh, Jaron in the six to eight range this year, and then you give you expect to be good next year. Good enough to not be um, bottom six in the league, obviously, 
Um, I, I would think that this team could go close to 500 um, next year if they if they did it this way. Um, and so the the debate comes down to what kind of pick do we want to give Boston? And so I, I'm of the stance like I, I would rather us get this pick five through eight this year rather than us getting a pick um you know the the 12 to 14 range next year now granted you know the 13th pick the 15th pick you know you're looking at um the rare cases that you find a Kawhi Leonard or Antetokounmpo or Donovan Mitchell uh even Devin Booker was was out the top 10 and so yes you can find a, a franchise altering guy but that's that's the exception not the rule and so I'm I'm thinking let's give Boston the worst of the picks. Let's uh let us get the be the ones that that benefit from this tough year and and not Boston. And so then the argument comes down well all it takes is Mike Conley getting hurt and then you're you don't convey in 2020 and then uh you're giving it up in 2021 which everybody agrees is the best draft coming up uh within the next 3 years. Uh but I I think even still, if you were to have some freak accident of Mike Conley, Dale Wright could carry this team to not be a bottom six team in the NBA. So I would rather um, get the higher pick this year, take a chance on somebody like a um, DeAndre Hunter from uh, Virginia or um, Darius Garland from Vandy, um, if he's still there. Uh, I just, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm torn. I was hard convey, but I think now that I think I'd rather convey next year. That makes some sense. And, 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 and the thing that I'll say is, is that I, I've gone extreme. I, I've been extremely on the other side of the coin, a complete 180 from what you're looking at. But at the end of the day, I actually think there's some similarities. I support conveying all day long. The few simple reasons why are number one, you're not you're you're losing your pick in what most people say is the overall worst draft over the next three drafts. So if you're going to lose a pick, it needs to be in that one. Number two, it gives you clarity going forward. Uh, you you no longer have that that obligation. You no longer have the uncertainty. You finally have some certainty in your assets. And number three, for me, the biggest thing is that the Grizzlies now have a the best opportunity, the most clear, straightforward proof that right now, if they convey the pick, is the time to rebuild. My biggest qualm with the whole idea about not conveying this year and then competing next year is that you're passing on, you know, legitimately, you're passing on two years of starting a rebuild around Jared. You're, you're passing on it this year because you're picking in the weaker draft, and you're obviously passing on it next year because you're going to miss the first-round pick. And you're doing all of this because you're trying to go 500. I get that. I, I do get it. However, I, I'm not like I used to be in that I think we need to take. I, I, I've thought for the longest time taking makes sense. As some people have mentioned, though, there's a lot of luck involved for taking multiple seasons in a row to work and there not be negative consequences. Memphis being in a small market, taking for multiple seasons in a row, it's going to be a hard thing to make a positive. I agree with that. But the biggest reason why I want to convey and that for a long time wanted to take is because a lack of faith in our front office basically became less of an issue with the higher pick that we got. There was more chance we would still hit even with our front office, you know, being as incompetent as it has been. And also, we did it last year and it worked. We've got our franchise player. But I think what it comes down to is that it doesn't really involve the roster itself at all. What it involves is making the right moves in the front office. That's what it comes down to. The Grizzlies need to use the trade deadline, the good moves that they made in the trade deadline, where they were decisive with a goal, made the moves to put them in the best chance to accomplish the goal, and didn't mess with it 
and they're likely going to accomplish it. They need to then take that and show that same decisiveness towards the future, in my opinion. Now, to what extent is that? You'll have to see. But with the current front office, I think taking is legitimately the best way you're going to get talent around Jared. Do you think that's what it comes down to, Justin? Do you think that the biggest – I, I think it's pretty obvious. The biggest determining factor in how successful the Grizzlies rebuild is going to be is the front office, correct? Yeah, I, I think it was a miracle that the front office didn't didn't botch Jaron Jackson in getting him. I mean, the, we've had two good draft picks in, in the last, what, uh, 12 years? 13 years, Mike Conley and Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, and so it's, uh, I think, I, I, I think it needs to be clean house. Like just, heck, burn burn the house down and build a new one. They they need to all go. Everybody in the front office, just about everybody on the on the coaching staff. Actually, you know, I don't mind uh, Portier. I don't mind uh, Stackhouse. I just don't think JB is head coach material. Um, and this this recent surge of success, I don't think, has much to do um, with with JB. Um, he he needs to go. Um, and I think if you want to keep Jaron long term and and build around him, um, he needs to be able to have faith in a coach. He needs to be able to have faith in a front office. Um, it, it can't be a situation. Um, like in, in Cleveland with LeBron, while it's a little bit different, it's kind of the same that LeBron didn't have any, any faith in Dan Gilbert to get the job done, uh, to put a team around him. And so he took off to Miami and he did it himself. And so we will be in a, um, in a scenario like New Orleans with um, Anthony Davis or, or Cleveland with LeBron if we don't get a front office that can prove to Jaron uh, over the length of his rookie and then his restricted free agent uh, contract that they can get the job done, then this franchise will be in a lot of trouble. And, and what what escalates that point is that we're in a small market. Memphis is not a destination. You know, I've said it for a few years now that when you look over the history of the free agents that Memphis has got, Tony Allen was the only one of the core four that was a free agent. Uh, Mark and uh, Zach were brought here via trade, and Mike was drafted. But when Vince Carter, in his late 30s, is arguably one of the top five free agents you've brought in over the past 10 to 15 years, you know, that's saying something. It shows that you're not a premier destination. We're not going to get any of these marquee players. So that's why I think it's so important that you have to build through the draft. But it's also very hard for the same reason that you're in a small market. If you lose the fan base, it's hard to recover. It, it, you know, Memphis is already one of the lowest attended, um, you know, home games in, in the NBA. And it, it, it's just it's just a simple fact. So it's a very fine line that you have to walk. But the thing is, is that it can be walked. And I think that a great example of that is the team that we played tonight the Atlanta Hawks. The reason I mention that is because if you look at the Memphis Grizzlies and the Atlanta Hawks, yeah, Atlanta is far and away showing to be a brighter future. To me, they probably have a top five future in the East at least. But the Grizzlies had the starting point. They got their big man in Jared just like Atlanta got in John Collins. And then Atlanta in six months, back last June, everybody was on Atlanta. In September, everybody was on Atlanta because they gave up Luka for um, Trey Young. But now, John Collins has established himself as a, as, as a above-average player. Trey is challenging Luka for um, Rookie of the Year. Kevin Huter has shown he's a legitimate player. And they've got two more first rounds this year. The Grizzlies, I think, need to follow a similar path in gathering assets and being able to put money into people that can scout prospects to bring in some talent. Would you agree with that philosophy, Justin? Yeah. I, we need either Oklahoma City's front office or uh, San Antonio's scouting department 
just somebody that isn't so focused on John Hollinger's advanced stats and um, drafting guys like Jordan Adams because of those stats. Um, like, just think about John Collins, just for instance. Like, who who knew that guy coming out of college? I mean, he went to Wake Forest. Um, you know, he was just an athlete, you know, whatever, could jump out the gym. Uh, but the scouting department in Atlanta obviously saw something in him and t- to take that chance on him, and it's paying off. Uh, even even uh, Kevin Huter from, from Maryland, like, nobody expected him to do anything, but that dude's balling out. Um, so, yeah, I would agree that I think there has to be a lot of uh, money on on this rehaul um, that we hope comes put in scouting. Um, that's that's not just scouting these, these rookies coming up. I, I think it's scouting – free agents that we can get that would want to come as well. The guys that would fit with the team. And I think whoever made the decision on the Toronto trade did a great job of identifying players that um, would be successful here in Memphis and, and may want to stay here as well. You know, and if that's Chris Makris, if that, I believe that I got his name right. Chris, Chris Makris, if that's Tayshaun Prince that, 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 you know, really, um, you know, strong arm the idea of the Toronto trade, you know, that's great. That That's wonderful. You know, take that and go with it. But, but yeah, I think that's what it comes down to, you know, tanking in theory is a simple plan that, that makes some sense. And in a small market like Memphis, where you've got to build through the draft to get good talent that you can control, it makes a lot of sense, but it's so hard in reality to make work and be able to keep positivity with your fan base. So, what you need to do is you don't need to gut the product that's on the court. You need to gut what is putting that product on the court. And I really think that that's where the Grizzlies um, should focus their offseason plans. So as you can see me and Justin, we probably got different viewpoints. But at the end of the day, I think that we can agree that the idea is is to get high in the draft, obviously. But beyond that, it's the fact that it's not only acquiring that the best way to acquire talent is to acquire decision makers who actually can spot talent. Would you agree with that, Justin? Uh, absolutely, one hundred percent. And so that's 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 where I think it is. So, like I say, two or three days ago, me and Justin were going amongst other people were going back and forth. We 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 weren't heated, but but we were. Pretty, pretty set in our ways in terms of opposite opinions, but that's why it's good to talk these things through because at the end of the day, while we may have different perspectives, I think similar things are wanted. So a couple of other things in regards to this season um, that, that, that you know, has kind of caught my eye is the Grizzlies right now are basically playing the players that are giving them the best chance to win, and that falls right in line with what they're looking at. They want to convey, they want to play the players who give them the best chance to be able to do that. But I think a byproduct of that that we're starting to see is one that I'm not so happy with. And that's starting to see reduced playing time for, you know, Bruno Caboclo, um, uh, Ivan Rabb, Javon Carter. Uh, We're really starting to see those players who are in their prime versus the youth that we know we're going to control going forward. Justin, what's your take on that? Do, Do you feel it's the right move to play the players who are playing the best or, or should we still put a primary focus on developing our young talent? Well, if, if the organization's stated goal is to convey, then I think it's the right move to play the guys that are going to help you win. Um, but it, that seems so short-sighted, you know, it's just, if, if our goal is, is to convey and, and let's move forward, well, moving forward you know, maybe it doesn't include Ivan Rab or um, Javon Carter or or Bruno. It and they're they're not interested. In, are they seen enough or or whatever it may be? I don't know. But it is very interesting that um, these guys are seeing their minutes go down in favor of of freaking Chandler Parsons for one and two. Uh, yeah, you know what I would do with Joe Kim Noah right now? I'd be like, hey, look. We want to keep you. We don't want you to keep balling out and so that somebody else comes and throws a contract at you. So how about we just, you know, sit you out for the rest of the year and let us play Ivan Rab and, and see what we got in him. 
I'd love to have Noah back. He's just he just fits Memphis, but the more they play him and the better he looks, uh, the more likely it is that we lose him as as well. Um, but I explain to me how playing Chandler Parsons helps convey. I, I don't I don't understand why he's on the floor over Bruno or if he's running a small ball four over Ivan or um I, it doesn't make any sense. If the, it, it, it seems contradictory to what their goal is. The goal is to convey Parsons shouldn't see the floor. He can't play basketball. It's it's that simple. He, he can barely walk. And I wonder, is it the Grizzlies trying their best to, in any way, shape, or form, move as far past as the drama that happened earlier this year? Has JB found his uh, new um, um, Shelvin Mack? fetish with Chandler Parsons? I mean, you don't know. Um, And that's the reason why, you know, you don't know because it doesn't make sense. But, you know, I'm fine with doing what makes sense to convey. But, you know, I I mentioned before, I think a real, real legitimate advantage that the Grizzlies could have going into next year as they bring in more elite talent to start, they've got a pretty good bench forming. I mean, if you can put uh, DeLong Wright, you could put Ivan Rab. If you bring Joe Kim Noah back, that's great. Um, I, I think that those players, if they can, you know, C.J. Miles coming in with a shooter or if you bring in another shooter, I think that there is a very talented bench there that in today's game, the best teams are the ones that can beat you with the bench. They're the ones with the plus-minus ratings. Their bench has better plus-minus ratings than their starters. And if the Grizzlies can develop that bench, that'd be great. But, I, I, yeah, like I say, I mean, you know, I'm the biggest support, supporter of Kavane that you can find. I mean, an even bigger supporter of developing talent. And, you know, that is something that I will give credit for um, to the Grizzlies. I'll give credit for them because they have they've found some pretty good second-rounders. Ivan Rab, Dylan Brooks, you know, they, they found some good ones. Do you think that it makes sense in some way, shape, or form this year for the Grizzlies to get back into the second round and just to see what type of talent they could get, do you think that that should be a focus um, once the season is over, Justin? Uh, just buying second-round picks to buy second-round picks. Um, if, if there's somebody there, yeah, sure, jump on it. But if this, this draft is so weak, like everybody is saying it is, uh, the chance of you find somebody second round um, probably isn't going to be worth you giving up something else since you've already given up two second-rounders this year. Gotcha. Um, and, and like I say, I, I do agree to an extent. I mean, you you possibly could find – I mean, you know, you, you've seen second-rounders coming out of nowhere. Malcolm Brogdon, who I, who I know a lot of Memphis folks like, they feel that he meets the uh, the Memphis way of playing. That that makes some sense. But, you know, when it comes down to it, I, I think that, you know, the draft this year may be more focused on um, what potentially happens with Mike Conley um, than anything else. Justin, when it comes to looking at the um, ability to trade Mike Conley, are you pretty much just on board with keeping him regardless, or do you see it making sense to trade him? I mean, there's general sense in it, but do you have to be overwhelmed, or do you become more encouraged if you convey to trade Mike Conley? Yeah. The narrative around a potential Mike Conley trade is not that we robbed another team. I'm not interested. I don't want to hear it. Um, the way that dude is playing right now, he still has a lot of basketball in him, good basketball in him, um, and he's he's good. Like if if you're gonna have any success in the NBA, you've got to have a point guard, um, and we have a really really good point guard who probably has three to four years left and that's beyond his contract. So there's no reason to, to not bring him to, to not keep him. Um, now, if you, you come at us and you're Brooklyn and you're like, Hey, here's, here's D'Angelo Russell on a sign and trade in the first round pick. Okay. Yeah. Here's Mike Conley. Um, but it's going to have to be something like that uh, for me to, to even um, have any type of interest in, in, the, the chance of moving him. And the, and the other thing about Conley is, is that as wonderful as he has been um, this year, the crazy thing is, is that again, he's just playing at, at, a, at a, the, probably the best level that he has played 
um, you know, in his career. And, and that kind of, you know, segues into something that I mentioned um, last year that I kind of wanted to give our, our takes on um, in that, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously we're getting, we're in the home stretch, we're in the fourth quarter of the season. So looking at the NBA awards themselves, I feel like that Mike Conley, for instance, I want for a cap off for his season to be comeback player of the year. I think it makes perfect sense coming off the injury from last year, as well as he's playing at an all-star level. It makes good sense. But Justin, let's real quickly go over the NBA awards when you look at it. And let's start with MVP. Who right now, in your opinion, is the MVP uh, in the NBA? I think it's Paul George. and uh, I know people are, are thinking it should be James Harden, possibly, but I think he might just be – it should be like an NFL deal where there's, a, there's an AP Offensive Player of the Year and the, the MVP. James Harden was hands in a way be the Offensive Player of the Year. But I think Paul George the MVP. Um, the Thunder are not who they are um, without Paul George doing what he's doing on the floor. You can make an argument for Giannis, and uh, my guess is that you might. Um, but I, I'm going with PG-13. I think that you would be fine with that pick. And I, re- and I think the reason why is because with Paul George, he is he's always been kind of underrated, but a top 20 type player. But to have the season that he has where he's escalated his game to being a top five player, it shows just how well he's playing that p- people are clearly saying, this is by far the best year of his career. Me personally, I would choose Giannis. I think that Giannis right now is is he may not have reached a ceiling stretch that Harden or George have this year, but Giannis has been so consistent and he's taken a team that basically was irrelevant up until he came along to where they're now a finals favorite in the East with a new coach, you know, Mike Boldenhoser Boldenhoser, we all know um, obviously his situation in Atlanta didn't end well, but he's a very talented coach. But I would give it to um, Giannis. You've got the narrative there. The play obviously supports it. And, and I think that he truly has been the difference maker in making his team a true finals contender. Justin, another award race that I think is is pretty close, uh, but, but I have a feeling I know how the NBA is going to go, is Defensive Player of the Year. Who right now, in your opinion, do you feel is the defensive player of the year? Man, that's uh, that's tough. I haven't I haven't looked too much into into that one, but uh, I would say if if Paul George doesn't doesn't win, I don't love Paul George that much. He doesn't win MVP, like. They're gonna, they're, I think they're a top three defense. It's not the best defense in the NBA, um, and, it, and it truly is not because of Russell Westbrook. Um, while he gives full effort, he's not the def- defender. Paul George has always been known as a great defender, and I think he's he's made that much of an impact on the team on the defensive end of the floor for them to be um, one of the top defenses in the entire league. Let's see here. I'm looking at the rankings right now, and and I know that the yeah right now Oklahoma City is third, and the Utah Jazz um, are um, a fourth. Um, I personally think that Gobert is the defensive player of the year, and the reason why it is is because I think it's easier to identify a low post player's defense a lot of times than it is a perimeter player's defense. But at the end of the day, if it's close, and it is, if Paul George doesn't get MVP, I don't think he is because of the presence of Russell Westbrook. I agree that Russell Westbrook uh, maybe uh, you know he, he doesn't play on both ends of the court, but he's going to lead the league in assists. I just think he's too relevant uh, of a presence uh, for Paul George to win it. That may be a weak way of looking at it. But if, if Paul George doesn't get the MVP, he's going to get something. And I think Defensive Player of the Year is the next step up for him. So I I do agree. I I think that Paul George, while there may be better overall defenders, it's probably going to be him. We move on to Coach of the Year. And 
and basically we both know that it's a, it's a race for second after JB, uh, Justin. But um, when huh. it comes to coach of the year, who do you have? Coach of the year. Um, you'd have to think about dudes up in, in Milwaukee. Um, I, I'm not going to give it to Nick Nurse. I mean, he walked into a gold mine getting Kawhi Leonard to pair and then finding, um, you know, Siakam's resurgence. Um, I, I don't know how much that has to do with his actual coaching. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take Mike Budenholzer um, uh, in Milwaukee. I think that's – I think he's probably the obvious choice and he's probably the front runner. Um, but I, I think he's deserving of it for sure. For me, it's Mike Malone of the um, Denver Nuggets, and, and the reason why I say Ooh, that, yeah, I forgot about I forgot about him. Yeah, and it, 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 it's easy to that, that's that's the whole thing about it. You know, I mentioned um, on another show that we did or last week that you know a lot of times this it seems like the Jazz and the Nuggets are just they, they're they're forgot about because they they you know Jokic is a great player, Donovan Mitchell is a great player. But they're just forgot about in terms of, you know, the hierarchy of the NBA. But the improvement of Jokic, but just as but even maybe more so than that, the development of some of their players because of them losing key players. I mean, Paul Millsap, Gary Harris, Will Barton, three very, very integral parts of their rotation. All three were out and they still have played to the top of the Western Conference. Um, so I think that Mike Malone um, is certainly in there. And I'll tell you another guy that I really like is Kenny Atkinson of the Nets. These guys are doing it w- w- without a true superstar. They are having an all-star level season to D'Angelo Russell at times, I feel. But with the development of the players that they have, I think that Atkinson certainly uh, should get some mention as well. So, um, you know, just like the MVP race, I-, I think that you could go a bunch of different ways, but – in my opinion, I would probably go Mike Malone. Uh, Justin, sixth man of the year. You can you've got a variety of different ways that you could go, but in all honesty, I, I think what it comes down to is this: is that his story is not really a redemption story. You know, there there obviously are negatives uh, to 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 what he's come back from, but I almost would think that if Minnesota makes the playoffs. Derek Rose to me is a legitimate candidate for candidate for sixth man of the year. Do you have a favorite in that race? It's got to be Uncle Lou, right? Like he just he just pat like was he first now all time off the bench scoring like or is he third? He I, I can't remember what it was. Yeah, he, I think he's he broke some record or passed some milestone this week um, scoring off the bench. And he just keeps doing it, man. I mean, he he's just putting up numbers. I like the Rose argument, but Rose has started a lot, and I'm not sure that uh, Lou has. I think he's been more of a true six man. Um, I, but I, I think and I can't tell you who else you know in the league would be uh, a worthy um, candidate for for that. Maybe um, what would it be, Spencer Dinwiddie and in New Jersey, or, um, I mean, who's coming off the bench in, in Denver? Uh, they've got, like, Will Barton, you know, maybe. Um, I don't know. I, I would go with, with Lou Williams if I had to pick right now, though. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I don't even know if you're going to convince me that Lou Williams is the best bench player for um, the Clippers. Montrezl uh, Harrell. Yeah, 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 I can't ever say his first name right because of that random L in there. But that guy is phenomenal. When he comes in, it is a different. He is a difference maker. The fact that they got him for two years and I believe twelve million is unbelievable. And and, and I think that it's just it's one of those things uh, to where it it just goes to show, like we've seen with like Delone Wright um, and other players. Sometimes less is more in that, and, and they just they really embrace that reserve role, just like Lou Williams does, and, and it makes a big difference. And finally, you know, we got two more really to to uh, talk about it as as we're wrapping up here on the Three and D podcast. Most improved player. Now, this one you could probably have the most candidates for, but 
in my opinion, I think that if they make the playoffs again, because that adds to the narrative, I really think Buddy Heal from Sacramento is, is a strong candidate for that award, especially with the added narrative that he's come out of nowhere to make that trade of Boogie Cousins from Sacramento Orleans. He's almost made, he, he's made it a clear win for Sacramento, in my opinion. So I think that I would probably, with the fact that they've come out of the abyss and are successful this year, and the fact that he's contributed like he has, I think that, that Buddy Heald is definitely a strong candidate for most improved player. I don't think it's a race. I think I don't think anybody has a chance against my guy, Pascal Siakam. I just don't. That dude, talk about coming out of nowhere, tell me anybody that knew that dude's name last season. Unless they're a Toronto fan, ain't nobody going to tell you about that guy. And now he's um, starting at the four for uh, one of the favorites in the East and making a huge difference. I think it's hands down Siakam for, for most improved. They do have the playoffs. And the fact that he's doing, I mean, the fact that they've traded away Jonas Valanciunas, got Mark Gasol, and, you know, they, they are going with Siakam. It, it, Serge Ibaka, as effective as he is, he certainly is no spring chicken. I, I do agree with you. Coming out of where uh, Siakam has to to just a clear, effective player, I, you, you could go with that way as well. So one of the more interesting ones, this the one race in the NBA that, seem to be the most clear, may now be the most competitive, and that's rookie of the year. Obviously, our guy uh, has, has kind of fallen off the wagon on that with, with the Jared being out for injury. But it's coming down to Trey Young versus Luka Doncic. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think Trey Young has passed Luka. For one, the Hawks certainly are on the upswing, while Dallas is definitely on the downswing. And number two, with Luca's recent injury, I haven't seen an update on it, but Luca, while he really hasn't fallen off, he certainly has not ascended like Trey Young has. Do you think it is a two-man race, and do you think Trey has a legitimate shot of winning Rookie of the Year? You asked me a week ago, I tell you Trey has no shot, um, but it, it, he is he's making a case. For sure, I'm not sure that he has surpassed Luca yet. Um, Luca did play; his, his injury is not serious. Um, he didn't play well the other night. He he shot very inefficiently. Couldn't hit free throws down the stretch um, to lead his team to a to a W. Now, I would say that Atlanta's surge has has to do with that he's got John Collins back running and, and Hewitt's playing better. Um, they've they got a little bit better talent around him right now than than Luca probably does. Um, I still think Luca's got it, but if if I think if it trends the rest of the season the way that it's trending in this moment, it, it may be the closest vote um, of all the awards, and and uh, it it wouldn't shock me if Trey did end up winning, winning if it if it continues to trend this way. And that just is another feather in the cap of this rookie class. I think I think it's a rookie class. Where it may not be, it's not going to be close to the most talented in history. I mean, it's certainly not going to be the LeBron year and you know other years. But I think in terms of how important the top five players in the in this draft in this draft could be to the future of their franchises, I think that it clearly is going to go down as one of the um, more memorable drafts uh, for for a lot of different reasons, and so. As we shift our focus once again, you know, we've got the Grizzlies, we got the NBA in general, but we are a podcast that talks directly about basketball, and it's the time of year where college is at the forefront. Um, obviously, me and Justin, both being from the South, we have our preferences. And uh, Justin, um, you are a huge Ole Miss fan, obviously. Uh, I am a suffering, a diehard Tennessee fan for more than 30 years. Um We've got the SEC tournament uh, tonight. Missouri beat Georgia 71-61. to Texas A&M uh, beat uh, Vandy 69-52. to uh, Bryce Drew's whole thing about everybody 0-0 zero zero didn't last too long. But when you look at the SEC tournament, Justin, you know, Ole Miss tomorrow plays Alabama uh, at 7. 
And then, of course, Tennessee plays the winner of Texas A&M and Mississippi State on Friday night at 9. How do you see it playing out? Do you see a clear national title contender emerging from this tournament, or do you see a surprise attorney entrant maybe spoiling the show? Can I can I say neither? Um, I I don't I don't think this you know I don't want to dog your Tennessee balls. I, I just I don't know if they're a title contender now. Can they make the final four? Yeah, absolutely. I believe they can because of the way that they play. Um, but I, I'm not so sure that they're um, natty ready. Um, surprise team coming out of the SEC? I, I don't think. I don't. I don't think there's gonna be a team that jumps up and steals a bid. Um, maybe, maybe this is the only team that I think has a shot in the SEC to steal a bid. That's Florida, because Jalen Hudson's finally remember how to play basketball right now. Um, he's been not good all year, and then he's towards the end of the season he's he's starting to click. Um, I think you know you're gonna see um, Ole Miss and Mississippi State, Tennessee, Kentucky. Um, they're they're gonna get their locks into the tournament. Um, I'm sure I'm overlooking somebody. LSU is the other one, um, but you don't know what LSU you're gonna get now that they're in the scandal with their coach. Um, who who do you have as a favorite to to win the tournament, the SEC tournament? I feel it's Tennessee, and and you could count that as biased. I, I do agree with that, but. <laughs> I, 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 you know, that, that, that's perfectly fine. But, but, but I back it up with validity. And the reason why I say that is because I, I do think you're going to have a hard time convincing me we're not a national title contender. And I don't say that to be confrontational with you, Justin. It's just, it's straightforward. I feel that Tennessee has one of the more consistent high floors. They shoot the free throws well. They play good team defense. They have two of, you know, arguably the top 25 players in the game who who can take over as a duo at any point in time. There's a lot of different ways that they can beat you. Yes, if certain things aren't going their way, if they're not getting to the free throw line and they're not hitting the threes, size can beat us. Rebounding can beat us. But I also do think that with Tennessee, I really haven't seen a team out there that we can't beat but I obviously have seen about six or seven that can beat us. So the reason I say Tennessee probably has the best shot, number one, they're going to have the crowd. The crowd's going to be more involved with Tennessee than they have been in the past. And number two, I think this team is focused. Rick Barnes has plenty of reasons to be focused. He needs to stop the narrative that Tennessee is, that he is a coach who, yeah, he could look great. Yeah, he could be there and get a lot of momentum going in the tournament. Then it fizzles out. Tennessee also knows it likely is not going to be this good for a while. Being able to develop Admiral Schofield and Grant Williams like they have, it's probably going to be a bit of a while before they've got this type of team with this depth and veteran presence uh, to, to really make a difference. So at the end of the day, I think it's Tennessee, especially with the LSU scandal, and hopefully if that works out, um, you know, we'll be able to get that number one seed going into the NCAA tournament. Justin, is there any other conference tournaments that, that you're paying close attention to? Well, let me, let me say this. Um, I do agree with you that Tennessee probably has the highest floor of any team in the NCAA um, because while Duke may have the most talent on their team, they have a low floor when those guys aren't performing well. Like right? if, they, if they aren't rocking and rolling, Duke's, Duke's going to struggle. Um, and then SEC tournament uh, – I do think my my rebels have a chance um, because of guard play, which is which is huge in in NCAA. You would you would hope that they have a little bit more minimum coming into the tournament, but the SEC wanted to you know screw us over and, and put us Kentucky and Tennessee back to back into the last three games of our season. Um, so that's a tough tough way to to roll into the tournament. Um, but we we those are both games we could have won, and so if if uh, Terrence Davis and uh, Schuler and, and Brian Tyree um, are on their games in this tournament for a role, we could walk out as SEC champs. Um, now, if they're struggling, and then Owen Echek and Blank Kinson down low aren't doing well, it, we could get bounced first round against Alabama. Uh, who knows? Other tournaments, um, I, I want to see what goes on in the ACC. Um, is Zion going to play? Um, if he doesn't, 
Um, is North Carolina going to win that tournament? Um, is somebody else going to sneak in like Virginia and win that tournament? I think that one's just a crapshoot. Uh, ACC is so good this year. Um, and the other tournaments, uh, I guess Big Ten would be one to watch between Michigan and Michigan State. Um, I, all the other ones, I, I could care less. Understood. I know here in Memphis, there's going to be some focus on uh, Memphis, obviously, with the tournament being here. And I think that there's a couple of sleeper teams in the American, Houston especially. I'm also kind of interested to see what Washington does out in the Pac-12. I watched him the other night against Oregon. Now, they didn't play that well, but Washington has a very good defense. And um, you know they, they, they are definitely a team that I think has overperformed in, in terms of their overall talent. But Justin covered a lot of different stuff today. Um, I know that there's there's a lot going on. I will agree with you. The only thing I'll correct about your assessment of Ole Miss, you could have, you should have. And I'm not saying that is a bad thing. I think Tennessee got lucky against you, and I thought Ole Miss had a chance late against Kentucky as well. The one thing that I think gets in Ole Miss's way is that they're a guard-oriented team. Their strength is guards. They're playing a tough matchup against Alabama, who, who is a size-oriented team. So, but if they can get past Alabama, trust me, I'll be cheering for y'all uh, come Friday. Justin, as we uh, wrap up here on the uh, three this week's edition of the 3D Podcast, do you have anything else for the listeners out there? Are you looking forward to something over the next week in terms of the Grizzlies and their upcoming schedule? Um, I would say for the listeners, go check check us out on the on the core four. We get hosted this week. We took over and. Um, we had a, uh, some good stuff on there as well. As far as the Grizzlies uh, going forward, I know next Friday I'm actually going to the game in Orlando, um, and so that's going to be fun. First time in that arena, get to see the, see the guys on the road. Uh, I think it might be the first road game I've ever been to for the Grizzlies, so that'll be a fun experience. I'm going to try to get on as the the FedEx delivery of the game from Pete Pranica. Pete, if you're listening, uh, hook me up. Uh, I guess I just want to see us rebound from this. Uh, this is not an okay loss. Uh, so I, I want to see us be able to uh, fix what needs to be fixed and, and, and move forward. And for me, basically what it is is that I just – I would like to see more of an effort put forward on, you know, playing the young guys. I definitely would like to see Ivan Rab get back into bead. I would like for him and Caboclo to uh, kind of, you know, get their games developed. Um, and, and Caboclo, uh, I, I really – he probably will be a subject of the 3D podcast next week. And, you know, he, a lot of talent there is the mental capacity there to, to really make his talent – go to its max you know he he he's an interesting player case to analyze uh, with this time with the Grizzlies so far but thank you so much for joining us a little bit longer this time around but with more content to discuss Justin as always it was a pleasure bud I hope you have a great week and uh, we will talk to you soon uh, here on the 3D podcast have a great rest of your week